0: Go to Shopify.com slash Sonoro to take your business
1: to the next level today. Shopify.com slash Sonoro.
2: With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com.
3: The numbers that were coming out in 2020, we were thinking this is really apocalyptic. A lot of the people that were in precarious situations ended up falling deeper into poverty. And that's really something that's disappointing and is really a setback to the SDGs. We know we have COVID happening. We know we also have a huge economic crisis, but we're going to step up. Due to really strong action from individuals, from governments, from communities, we've averted the worst case scenario. It's not as bad as we thought it might be.
4: We've got the equipment, we've got the staff, and do you know we can feed 600 kids for $200?
5: How did it make you feel when you Went up and saw the kids eating.
4: It's a visceral feeling, isn't it? It's from your heart to your head to the front of your face. It's like yeah. This is this is a good scene.
0: I can say it was a great experience. They were happy. And that makes me happy too.
6: Welcome to the Global Goals Cast, the podcast that shows how we can change the world in this episode, putting the world back on track to achieve the
5: global goals. This is gonna take a lot of work. Two years into the pandemic, we asked an expert on the global goals how far the coronavirus had set
3: us back. Unfortunately, quite a bit.
5: That means more people are in
6: poverty, more kids are out of school, there's more inequality and more hunger.
5: More ground to make up if the world is still gonna achieve the goals by 2030.
6: But here's the good news. While the situation is tough, the setbacks are not nearly
5: as bad as they looked earlier in the pandemic. And a big part of the reason is the way individuals, organizations, and governments have stepped up. We're going to visit a town in Rwanda where this happened. Yes, that's such an inspiring
6: story. A hotel that had very few guests because of travel lockdowns stepped up to use its kitchen and staff to feed hungry school kids. Before we take
5: you there, we will get an overview on COVID-19 and the Global Goals. This coming up right after this message.
7: This episode of Global Goalscast is brought to you by the Royal Academy of Engineering's Leaders in Innovation Fellowships, supporting innovators as they develop creative solutions to impact the sustainable development goals. Chemotherapy is like carpet
1: bombing. It is so toxic because most cancer drugs require high dose to permeate the cell membrane. But it doesn't have to be that way. We have developed a technology that overcomes the problem, enabling effective treatment with much lower doses.
7: Leaders in Innovation Fellowships has built a global community of over 1,000 innovators in 15 countries who bring diverse and unique perspectives to tackling global issues. Thanks also to CBS News Digital and to Universal Production Music.
5: Welcome back. I am Claudia Romo Edelman. And I'm Edie Lush. And this is season six of the Global Goals Cast. Woo! Woo! This is our 48th episode. So, Claudia, what are we going to do to celebrate our 50th episode? Margaritas? Yeah, and I will bring the chips and guacamole. Fiesta Latina! (laughs) So, this season is going to wrap our fourth year of bringing you stories of people who are trying to make the world a better place.
6: Oh my god, Edie! Fourth year? When we started,
5: I could not have imagined all we and the world were about to go through. Right? And when we launched in January, 2018, it felt like our job was to stay on top of the progress, celebrate the champions making a difference as you always like to say, but then COVID.
6: Yes, then COVID. We have been living in this pandemic for nearly two years. Edie. so much has happened, so much has changed. So we want to take a deep breath and try to understand
5: what has happened. And where do we go from here? To guide us, we sought out an expert on the Sustainable Development Goals, what we call the Global Goals.
3: My name is Vishal Gujadar. I'm the Deputy Director for Development Policy and Finance at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation.
5: Since the goals were set in 2015, the Gates Foundation has kept careful track of how we are doing. Each year in September, they issue the Definitive Report, which they call the Goalkeepers' Report. So where do we stand on progress to the SDGs? How much ground did we give up in the last
3: year? Unfortunately, quite a bit. Compared to 2019, we're in a bad place. It's not at all where we wanted to be in 2021. And Claudia, I
5: went back and looked at the 2019 goalkeepers report, and I remembered being in New York with you at the goalkeepers event. It was so amazing and now so poignant because at the time there was so much optimism. The report in a huge headline said health and education are improving everywhere in the world. Absolutely. The general global
6: picture was so positive that the report really focused on addressing inequalities that were holding back people in the poorest places like this a But
2: then
3: COVID. I think what happened in the last year is that Unfortunately, due to the pandemic, a lot of the people that were sort of in precarious situations ended up falling deeper into poverty. And that's really something that's disappointing and is really a setback to the SDGs and means that we have to redouble our efforts to make sure that we can get back on track.
6: The setbacks were in those very poor places, but also among poorer people in better off
3: places. How far away you are from that poverty line really makes a difference. And I think what we've seen is that people are on the edge. And a place like India and South Asia in particular which had seen a lot of progress in the last 10, 15 years, you know, it was still a fairly marginal exit from poverty.
5: There's a chart in the goalkeeper's report that shows progress out of poverty since the 1990s. The progress had been impressive, a steady decline in poverty. Because remember, as recently as the year 2000, one person in four lived in extreme poverty. In 2019, only 8.7% of the world's population lived below that poverty line. And then
3: COVID. 31 million people are in extreme poverty that were not previously.
5: That
6: pushed the percentage back up to 9% and pushed the goal of eradicating extreme poverty by 2030 even further out of reach.
5: So that sounds so discouraging. But, as we like to say on Global Goalscast, you can't fix what you don't face. And this is where we tell the
6: audience the good news, right? Well, let's call it the better news anyway.
3: It's not as bad as we thought it might be. I mean, the numbers that were coming out in 2020, we were thinking this is really apocalyptic. This could set us back 25 years. and. The good news, due to a sort of really strong action from individuals, from governments, from communities, we've averted the worst-case scenario.
6: I always say people is what matters. Champions can and are making the difference.
5: Indeed, the pandemic tossed us into a very deep economic hole. But we have been climbing out faster than expected, although also quite unevenly. Some parts of the world are back to pre-pandemic levels,
6: no doubt, but poorer parts of the world and poorer people in better off countries are still trailing
3: behind. It's a really important point. I would say the first part to note is how unequal the pandemic has been. It's hit different populations very different, hit different countries. It depends on the structure of your economy. It depends on the, the kind of industries that your country is involved in. We know that certain industries have higher concentrations of women or men. And right now, across the world, in wealthy and developing countries, women have suffered greater job losses. That's a massive problem. So that is something that we're absolutely thinking about. And to ensure a really an equitable recovery and that we come back strong to meet the SDGs, we have to, to double down and invest further in women and girls. Otherwise, we're not going to meet the SDGs. There's no, it, it just won't happen.
5: One of the other things that really struck me was the difference in education gaps and where we're seeing growing gaps in education. Can you give me a little bit of that data as well?
3: It's the marginalized, it's people who already were having trouble. It's groups that maybe were on the bubble in terms of going in. It's girls in some cases, right, who then are end up being pulling out of school or the learning loss was actually much higher. So roughly 30 percent higher in developing countries and marginalized populations than it has been in others. And I think that's going to take catch up. It's a case of there wasn't fast enough progress before and then we were set back even further. And I think what's really worrisome is that means that the disparities that you're going to see over the next couple of years could continue to grow. That takes extra effort to get catch up.
5: The same themes kept coming up in my conversation with Bishal. First, that things aren't as bad as they looked a year ago. But, and it is a big but, we need to make extra efforts to make up for the disparate impact of the pandemic on marginalized groups. I was getting pretty discouraged listening to him until we started talking about healthcare, and in particular, keeping up with childhood vaccinations and the fight against malaria.
3: Last year, we really were thinking, oh my goodness, like we are back in 1995 levels in terms of the missed vaccinations in terms of really an explosion of malaria potentially because of interrupted services. And in the end, it's a hopeful scenario in the sense that it does not look as bad as it used to be. You have a country like Senegal, which you know pre-pandemic was vaccinating children at the same rate that we do in the United States. And in the early days of the pandemic, that just went off a cliff. But by the end of the year, they started to catch up basically all the muscle memory, all the things and all the institutions they've put in place over the last 10, 15 years to really ensure that communities prioritize vaccination, that the systems were in place, they realize, you know, this is still important to us. And once we've gotten over the initial shock of COVID, we're gonna make sure that not only are the new kids getting born, we're gonna to catch up vaccinations and are back to where they used to be.
5: I wonder if you could tell me about the people that have stepped up. What are some good examples of people, organizations that have really met the challenges that we've faced in the
3: last couple of years? There is a number of them. The Africa CDC, for example, the African Center for Disease Control. Very early on in the pandemic, they were convening conference calls amongst both African ministers of health, African heads of state, communicating clearly what needed to be done, saying exactly what the baseline data was, aggregating information amongst African ministries of health and thinking about what a pan-African response could be, and then also ensuring at the same time that they were starting to communicate what Africa needed to the outside world. And that's an example, I think, of, of an institution that just has grown in leaps and bounds over the last year and a half and really stepped up, and is at the forefront not only of this current response, but is now saying over the next 10, 20 years, what are we going to need to make sure that we do have Vaccine manufacturing capacity on the continent. How do we respond to the next pandemic? What do we need in terms of strong health systems to prevent, you know, the worst-case scenarios from materializing in the future? And we ourselves, as the foundation, have realized that and said, look, we need to, to invest in them further because this is the kind of organization that's going to take us through to the next, you know, the next twenty years.
6: And the Goalkeepers report talks about the role of entrepreneurs like Strive Masigiwa who stepped away from his day job running a global
3: telecoms company. He just said, you know what, this is really critical. And President Cyril Ramaphosa tapped him to say, can you help us out in terms of, you know, you're a a businessman, you're an entrepreneur. Tell us how we're supposed to get PPE. Tell us how we can procure vaccines. And immediately was turned his attention not just to individual commodities or individual transactions, but said, how do we set up a platform and came up with the idea for an Africa medical supplies platform, which will figure out a way to source equitably and distribute PPE, vaccines, therapeutics for countries across the continent, and countries are using it now. And that's something that, that didn't exist two years ago. Completely built from scratch, and because Strive is the force of nature, and he put his mind to it and was able to use his contact book, both within Africa, globally, amongst heads of states, within the private sector, and thought, what can I do?
5: The goalkeeper's report very clearly states, we can learn from the successes and failures. I asked Vishal to give me an example
3: of a success. It's a hard thing to look at right now in the midst of what is still a raging pandemic and is still so much devastation. How do we celebrate what worked? I think the malaria example is a really big one. That was a real risk that if malaria was going to explode on the continent. Banan, where, which we use as an example in the report, is the number one cause of death malaria. The WHO put out a call and said, if the distribution of bed nets doesn't get out, if you know medicine isn't out there, treatment isn't out there, you could see it being much worse. And that's an exponential growth, right? Every year it gets worse if it starts circulating even further. And they said, you know what? We can't let this happen. We know we have COVID happening. We know we also have a huge economic crisis, but we're going to step up. And then thought of ways to innovate within that. And they ended up saying, let's also distribute the bed nets using a digital distribution system and got out more bed nets faster to more people in a shorter period of time due to that political action. And that's something that was built on communities as organizations sort would of prioritize malaria for years and then made sure that it didn't get lost in the shuffle when a crisis happened that wasn't you know, directly malaria-related, but had real implications for malaria.
5: Claudia, if I took one message away from my conversation with Vishal, it's this. Local actions really matter. What you do in your country and your community matters. Action
6: matters. Do not give in to despair or to the skill of the challenge.
5: So when we come back, we want to share a story from Rwanda, where a hotel made a real difference in one town by finding ways to help their community when the travelers disappeared. But first, this message.
7: This episode of Global Goalscast is brought to you by the Royal Academy of Engineering's Leaders in Innovation Fellowships, supporting innovators as they develop creative solutions to impact the sustainable development goals. Dr. Nusrat Sanghamitra is an Indian innovator best described as a scientist, entrepreneur, and motivator. Nusrat is committed to making a difference in people's lives with her scientific and personal endeavors.
1: Cancer is a complex and painful disease. Cancer drugs are extremely toxic and it makes life miserable for cancer patients. Not just the patient, but the whole family get traumatized. In 2019 alone, we lost 50% of them, along with my dad. That was the time I experienced the devastation of cancer firsthand. And after that, there was no looking back really. The goal of my life was defined with more clarity. Chemotherapy is like carpet bombing. It is so toxic because most cancer drugs require high dose to permeate the cell membrane. But it doesn't have to be that way. We have developed a technology that overcomes the problem, enabling effective treatment with much lower doses. Our technology is like a nano needle that tunnels through the membrane to deliver the drugs. And it's able to carry cancer drugs as well as therapeutic biomolecules. And it gives very minimum adverse immune reaction and it is targeted. We aim to make cancer therapy less painful with better outcome for 18 million patients worldwide, improving their quality of life so that they get to embrace life with all those small happiness and wishes of life. That's not just Cygenica's mission, but it's also my personal life's goal to create that ripple effect by my personal and professional endeavors to make an impact in oncology and to make significant contributions to the global fight against cancer.
5: Welcome back. That was Dr. Nusrat Sangamitra. You can learn more about her work at cygenica.com. That's C-Y-G-E-N-I-C-A and about the Leaders in Innovation Fellowships at the website of the Royal Academy of Engineers. Claudia, Vishal gave us a compelling overview of the global challenge. We're further away today from achieving the global goals than we were in 2019. That is
6: discouraging, but there was also an important message about how we are really
5: all in this together and how each of us can make a difference and how those individual and local actions add up to progress, or for the moment, at least add up to far less damage than we first expected from the pandemic and economic crash. You found a good example, didn't you, Edie? It did, in the town of niagara in Rwanda. The pandemic hit hard, and lockdowns threw people out of work.
0: When you were in lockdown... Everyone was locked in their homes. No one was working. Most of people feed their families as
5: they they work. So it was not easy. That's an understatement. That was Jessica Rusaro, a trainee at Mantis Epic Hotel
4: and Suites. It's me who who took the the, the food to the school. I was lifting the food to the vehicle, then to the school.
5: That is Nyasiga Charles Kabujangari staff member at the same hotel. The hotel caters to ecotourism. But with the pandemic, it found itself without any ecotourists. It was so quiet that the ecosystem began to reclaim the hotel.
4: We had a pair of kestrels that came and, and treated the front of the hotel as a rock face with a very nice nesting site for them just outside the presidential suite. And they nested there, they they hatched some young, which was quite exciting, and made themselves comfortable. We basically just let them get on with it. (laughs) Nature is quite incredible.
6: That is the manager of the hotel, Ian Williams, a South African. Those castles were more or less the only hotel guests. The rooms were empty, and so was the restaurant and the kitchen. Which was how Ian, Charles, and Jessica found a way to help the town through the worst of the pandemic.
4: So I quite enjoyed jogging, so even during the pandemic, I was getting out. But running around, I noticed that a number of the children did look as though they could probably do with something to eat. And I thought, well, how can we help with that? And so I went up to the nearest local school, which is Marama Primary School. We met the headmistress there. We started by visiting the school. It was me and Mr. Ian. We came up with a a solution of feeding them. We went to the mistress, we gave her our proposals, and the voltage she accepted. And we were speaking to her about what the needs might be. They mentioned the usual things, books and pens, and, and all those sort of things which were easy to send. And I said, do the children concentrate? well enough fed. Now, Mirama Primary School is is a government school. Depending on where you fall economically, the fees can be free. So you you have people from different spectrums, but you do have the the, the very poor there as well. And she said that there were a number of children, so it would help if we could provide lunch sometimes. And so I said, yeah, we'd like to do that. We don't have any children. And then she said probably half of them, which comes to 600. And 600, even even for a hotel, catering for 600 is a bit of a feat. But we had a look at the diet here and what would be healthy to feed the kids and so on. So it would be beans and cassava mixed with some other vegetables that are in season and a glass of milk. in the area that we're in, is famous for milk production. And the headmistress, Agnes, said a Wednesday is always best because that's in the middle of the week and it'll them an incentive to come to school still if they know they're going to get lunch. So we said, OK, we'll feed the children on the last Wednesday of every month. Ideally, we'd like to do every Wednesday. So if we can get people in to help with that, that would be great. We're also fortunate that we have a program here at the moment where we take local youths in and train them in hospitality. We have a six-month course running at the moment.
5: Jessica is one of those trainees. I'm a trainee
0: in F&B. What's F&B? Food and beverage. Food and beverage.
4: So I thought it would be a good exercise to use them for this to learn that hospitality is not only about providing food to people who can afford, you know, $100, $150 a night, but it's also about being part of the community. So we made that a project for them as well. So we included them as well.
0: As a trainee, I got involved and we were serving students, gave them milk, gave them food. What was the food that you served? It was cassava, cassava and beans. What was it like when you were feeding the kids? I can say it was a great experience. As you, you get to serve people, you get to interact with little children. They were happy. They got to share, to eat together as students in one class. So they were happy, and that makes me happy too.
4: You see a need of children that are hungry and you want to help. And the one other thing I want to say about hunger is, you know, I don't think I've ever been hungry in my life, Okay. I don't think I've ever been hungry and thought, when am I going to get my next meal? You know, I walk to the fridge, I take something out. We don't really know what what hunger is. We've got the equipment, we've got the staff, and we've got the pots. And do you know, we can feed 600 kids with a glass of milk, for two hundred dollars. When people are hungry and need food, a dollar makes a difference. You know, so it's not as though we're looking at thousands of dollars needed every month or every week or whatever it is. Hopefully we get some other people to come on board so we can do it on a weekly basis. You know, it'd be great to do it three times a week, but it's also so that they know that people care about them. Which is so important, isn't it? You know, I mean, I'm sure we've all been at stages of our lives. If it's been financial or emotional or whatever it is, a, a call from a friend, an unexpected call from a friend to say, how's it going, or I'm thinking of you, or something like that, makes a huge difference. Now, if we can show 600 kids that we actually care that they do get a, a, a decent plate of food, even if it's currently only once a month, you know?
5: How did it make you feel when you went up and saw the kids eating?
4: It's a visceral feeling, isn't it? It's from your heart to your head to the front of your face. There's actually a physical feeling involved in it as well. It's like, yeah, this is is a good thing.
5: (laughs) From your heart to your
6: head to the front of your face. That is what doing the right thing feels like. And this is such a good example of how stepping up to make a difference can be done
5: anywhere, by anyone. And that includes all of you out there in podcast listening land. So,
6: Edie, I love that example of the hotel. I have seen that again and again here in the States, looking at the Latino community. And... The resilience of the people and how strong humankind is is so clear, you know, like we have been hit so, so hard by the pandemic and yet people just pivoted and are coming back. And while we had the hardest drop, we're the fastest to come up. So it talks about the resilience of communities and it talks about communities helping each other. We, the Latino community self-organized to take it to where we are in Queens and in Bronx. And through that effort, through the Hispanic Star Hubs as a fact, all across the country, normal people and volunteers were able to distribute more than $14 million in product donated by more than 20 companies, supporting more than and reaching more than 1.5 million Million Latinos, 450,000 families organized in more than 50 cities. That is actually the miracle of humankind. And what we're seeing about the recovery of COVID is that they can hit us, but they cannot kill us. And we're going to come back stronger um, than ever if we allow these networks of communities to actually support each other and allow champions to find each other so that they can
5: leverage their support. I think that whole idea, Claudia, about empowering communities, if I take it back to Africa, such a good example that I spoke about with Vishal as well was giving local health authorities in Africa all the tech and skills that they need to read the genetic code of viruses so that they can know and act quickly rather than sending the samples back to Europe or the US to wait for the results. It's like lifting the cloud of colonialism, in a way, uh, from Africa and from, from other places in the world. And this idea, actually, of stepping away from the colonial mindset is one that Ian reminded me of when I spoke to him.
4: You no, know, one of the things is when, when you do things like this in Africa, I'm, I'm always very aware it, particularly being sort of white and male, of being too colonial, you know, so I, I, I tend to try and keep in the background.
5: So we all need to step up and we also all need to be culturally conscious while we do it. The pandemic has hurt the poor far more than the rest of us. And that means poor countries as well as the poor in rich countries. So the solution isn't just for rich people to offer handouts wherever they are. That's right, Edie. And
6: at the end, after 25 years in working humanitarian causes and social change, what I realize is that real change happens when you're able to enable an environment for self-organizing so that communities can identify their priorities and tackle them themselves. I mean, what we saw with the Hispanic community in the States, it was uh, pretty much the Hispanic Star framework enabling Hispanic Star hubs all across the country to identify their priorities and to self-organize to tackle them. And that is how real action Generate social change.
5: It's time now for facts and actions, Claudia. (laughs) Woohoo! So, facts in this episode coming from the Gates Foundation Goalkeepers Report. Fact number one an additional
6: 31 million people have been pushed into extreme poverty by the pandemic, moving us that much further from the global goal of eliminating extreme poverty by
5: 2030. Fact numero dos, the economic recovery is painfully unequal. The poor are suffering the most, both among countries and within countries. By next year, most advanced economies will be back to pre-pandemic income levels, or close, and that will be true for only a third of low and middle-income countries.
6: Fact number 3, the happy one. Things are not as bad as they looked last year. Take vaccine coverage, for example, in the middle of 2020, it was estimated that vaccine coverage would drop 14% globally, the equivalent of losing 25 years of progress. But as of the middle of this year it looks like the actual drop bad as it was it was only half as bad
5: okay so now for our actions the first action you can take the whole point of this episode is that you can make a difference so as you get back on the road do it the right way find a hotel that practices sustainability from how they clean their rooms to where they get their food or as in the case of our hotel in rwanda how they support their community.
6: Which leads to action number two, from Ian Williams.
4: What you do is if you're going on holiday to Mantis Resort or any any hotel that's linked to it, then you can pack items that can be used for the community that you're going to. So in our case, it would be Mirama Primary School, would be the school that would benefit, and then you can pack in school books, pens, pencils, school bags, whatever it is. So what I do when I go home is I pack one bag is for me or half a bag is for me. And the rest is kit for the local community that you're going to. So think of where you're going to. Think of how you can help. And think of how what you could take.
6: Action number three. If you have been inspired by this episode or by a desire to help You can donate to the school feeding project set up by Ian and the hotel. The Community Conservation Fund Africa is a non-for-profit associated with Mantis Hotel. If you go to www.ccfa.africa, you can find a link to donate. We'll put that at the
5: end of our show notes. Just do that one more time. We'll put that in our show notes. To donate and get involved,
6: find a link at the end of our show notes. Just in, in the show notes. Find a link. If you want to get... <laughs> find the link at the end of our end notes.
5: Show notes. Just, just, just in, in the show notes. Find the link. Find the link in, in our show our notes. <laughs> yeah. That's where the, that's where the hey, link is. Where do you
6: find the link? At the end of our it's show in notes. Show. <laughs> just, in, just wondering, where do we where do we find the link? At I the end know. of our show <laughs> notes.
5: And where's that blasted link? <laughs> in the show notes. In the
6: show notes. Find <laughs> the link. In our show notes.
5: And that is a wrap. Claudia, I'm sad I'm not in New York with you in person, but we are going to have our traditional UNGA Global Goals Wrap, which we'll put out as a live podcast episode.
6: And I miss you too, Edie. And I'm happy, actually, that you're not going through traffic because guess what? People are not coming. And so you're not missing out a lot. So don't have any FOMO. Thank you to all our listeners, to everyone that participates in the show. Thank you for the people that believed in us for the last four years, 48 episodes, on counting. So see you next one, 49.
5: Exactly. Follow us on at Global Goalscast, whatever your social media preference, give us five stars and tell your friends. And we'll see you soon. And check
6: in the show notes. <laughs> and find the link to donate at the end <laughs> in the show notes. <laughs> it's just in, it's not at the it, end. <laughs> in the show notes.
7: Goodbye. Global Goals Cast was hosted by Edie Lush and Claudia Romo Edelman. We're editorial gurued by Mike Oreskes. Editing and sound production by Simon James. Our operations director is Michelle Howard. Music in this episode was courtesy of Universal Production Music, one of the world's leading production music companies creating and licensing music for film, television, advertising, broadcast, and other media, including podcasts. Original music by Neil Hale, Angelica Garcia, Simon James, Katie Crone, and Andrew Phillips. This episode of Global Goals Cast is brought to you by the Royal Academy of Engineering's Leaders in Innovation Fellowships, supporting innovators as they develop creative solutions to impact the Sustainable Development Goals. Thank you to CBS News Digital.
0: The struggle is real, and we know that firsthand being daughters of hardworking immigrants. That's why on La Lucha Is Real podcast, hablamos un poquito de todo. Somos Angel and Edith, long-term best friends who have authentic conversations, giving us space to be vulnerable without judgment because La Lucha Is Real. We want all of our amigos who listen to us to feel a part of the conversation and feel empowered to become a better version of themselves. A veces y a veces llorando, pero siempre mejorando. La Lucha Is real podcast is available wherever you listen to podcasts.